2: Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talksport with me Sam Matterface, Darren Lewis from the Mirror, and Talksport's Alex Crook. Coming up, it's an all Premier League semi-final lineup in the FA Cup with a blockbuster tie in prospect as Liverpool find their way through forests, tricky trees.
3: Out towards Simicass, Simicass on the uh, corner of the box, right-footed ball, flighted in and in from Diogo Jota. That's the harsh reality of FA Cup football against one of the stellar sides. You miss a chance at one
2: end. he comes back to haunt you moments later at the other. Also, City's second half showing scythes down the Saints. Tuchel terrorises side and Frank Lampard questions the heart and desire of his empty Evertonians. The FA Cup was thrilling, but their Premier League stories as well. Wins for Arsenal and Tottenham mean it's probably North London's to lose in the race for fourth place. And Leeds give themselves a vital lifeline. All on the podcast that will measure it exactly from where we like, all right? And if we don't want to look at the monitor, we won't look at the monitor, okay? And if we want to change our mind from one day to the next, then we'll do it, yeah. It's the podcast from the PGM... Oh, sorry. No, it is the Game Day podcast from TalkSport this is game day hello and welcome to the game day podcast from talk sport everyone okay how are my boys you're right I haven't seen you for ages feel like feel like feel like we haven't been back together for weeks and months and years and whatever Oh yeah, when we did the uh, podcast on Thursday It was a bit of a uh, They used to call it when I was a kid A cut and shut So two halves of one car stuck together Because I uh, spoke to Crookie in the morning And I had Darren Lewis in the evening
1: That just sounds so wrong on so many levels
2: Yeah, it does actually, doesn't it? Right, okay, let's get rid of that How Are we, are we all right? Yeah, um, we're good
1: yeah, really good, really
2: good. Good weekend really. of FA Cup football. I mean, I did take the, l- the Mick a little bit about VAR in the introduction because it, I mean, it, it was, we talked about it on Thursday about it being inconsistent. Darren and I are reflecting on the uh, the Stuart Atwillisms that seem to have uh, crept into the way we officiate the game. Um, Steve Cooper actually wasn't very happy about the um, the, the Liverpool goal uh, because he felt that it was measured from the wrong place of Tobias Figueiredo's mm. arm. Uh, but, but let's start with Nottingham Forest against Liverpool, shall we? Because it was well, it was an absolutely terrific, banging atmosphere. And I don't know how much um, of it you took in live, Darren, but I thought it was a terrific match from the minute it kicked off to the minute it
1: ended. Forest are a team that are fearless, confident, talented creative, they were never going to park the bus they were always going to take the game to their own opponents and they were always going to have the belief that they managed to get from those bigger wins earlier in their run and as we know, we always know what you're going to get from Liverpool, so it did open out into the kind of entertaining game that we expected it to be. I just hope that the momentum of their run in the championship is not affected by the fact that they've gone out of this competition because it's almost been a welcome distraction I don't like to use the word distraction because this is clearly a team that focuses on whatever they've got to do but I can I I just hope that they can continue to be that Nottingham Forest in their championship run in the weeks ahead.
2: They gave Liverpool a real scare as well, didn't they, Crook? When you look back at the, some of the chances that they had, Zinchenko's uh, opportunity just 90 seconds before Jota scored his goal... The wonderful reverse pass by James Garner, who's on loan from Manchester United, that plays it down the left channel for Yates to take on Alisson. I don't think that was a penalty. I've got to be completely honest with you. I wasn't as up for the VAR controversy in that game as Steve Cooper was, even at the other end. But um, certainly they did. They tested Liverpool a little bit in that match.
3: Yeah, the Zinconagle chance was the turning point. A huge opportunity and I think one that probably would have uh, cost him a night's sleep after the game on Sunday. Yates should have just stayed on his feet. I think it was Dean Ashton, commenting but Talk Sports, said the same thing. If you're through on goal, just round the goalkeeper, stick it into an empty net, and don't leave any questions unanswered. It was a really absorbing cup tie without too many golden opportunities. Obviously, there was the Firmino miss when he was one on one, but it was just a, a really good contest between a championship team who gave their all and a Liverpool side who seemed determined to win every game they play at the moment and I think we'll talk about the the semi-final draw but I think we've got a fascinating rivalry now possibly one of the best Premier League rivalries of all time developing between Liverpool and Manchester City semi-finalists in this competition they could well meet in the final of the Champions League and clearly they're going toe-to-toe in the Premier League as well which is fantastic for the neutral and I think you have to credit Jurgen Klopp for the fact that we're still talking about Liverpool as the team who can do a trophy clean sweep when their pockets aren't as deep as Manchester City's. Let's not beat around the bush about that. Liverpool have to do business slightly differently and they've done it really well.
2: What do you mean? I mean, I mean Manchester City get all their money from sponsors. Deloitte have just published a uh, report today in which they said that Manchester City generate more commercial income than any other team. So they just get it because they've got loads of great sponsors. I mean, I think they're sponsored of course by they do. Etihad, Cause, cause uh, yeah. Etitel, um, a few
3: of those. <laughs> I mean, because historically they've got a massive global appeal. Uh, Manchester City so it's no surprise that, that that's the case I wonder
2: who the commercial manager is at, uh, at Manchester City I think he's getting a bonus today I think, I think he's getting a bonus I'm not sure, but I think he probably is um, okay um, so let's talk a bit about um, Liverpool and them just about getting over this game I, I thought they just about got past West Ham the other week they were dominant against Norwich then took their foot off the gas in the previous round of this competition they didn't play particularly well in either game against Inter Milan really but Is that because, Darren, that they've got this mentality that it's just about getting over the line now? It's about getting three points? Because, they listen, if you're competing in all four competitions and they've won one and they've got three to contest, obviously it takes its toll. It takes its toll physically. It takes its toll mentally. And a bit like Manchester United in 1999, I don't want to compare the two because they haven't done anything yet. In anywhere near the same sphere, but if they were to go on and win three of the trophies or four of the trophies, then it will be because they've just got this relentless psychological advantage over the others, which means that they will not tolerate anything other than three points. And that's going to come with slips. It's going to come with sort of blips. It's going to come with bad performances here and there, and it might just be one nils every now and again.
1: I was in uh, at Liverpool's press conference after Arsenal last weekend and I actually asked Klopp about momentum and he he was saying momentum is very fragile, it's like a flower, it can be crushed at any moment. But I think he was being a little bit disingenuous because I think there is a momentum about the way that they are solely focused on the three points. The first half of the season was all about artistic compression and blitzing teams and uh, scoring your threes and your fours and whatnot. But this second half of the season, now that they know that they can do it and it's within range, it is all about coming out on top. Doesn't really matter how they do it. Doesn't really matter if they're impressive in doing it. All that matters is the three points. And I think that's the reason why I would side with Liverpool over City because I think City are still brilliant. They've not done a single thing wrong. And that's a measure of the calibre of competition we're talking about between the two teams. But I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, the momentum is with them because they're solely focused on the three points. They can win ugly if they need to. Well,
3: not that I'm one to blow my own trumpet but I think after the League Cup final I said Liverpool would really in Manchester City now they take confidence from having that first trophy on the board and again I think Darren was quite dismissive but you look at the gap now I might not be far wrong come the end of the season but it's really interesting Sam that you've who compared this Liverpool team to United in 99, I actually spent Sunday morning uh, educating my two young sons and showing them clips from the the treble season just to tell them that Manchester United were good once. And there are similarities, uh, particularly in the forward areas, because United obviously had those four strikers, York, Cole, Sheringham and Solskjaer, that they would rotate between matches. And Jurgen Klopp has just started to do that. He's got five players now for those uh, three forward positions.
1: That's a good position to be in. Forgive me. Can I just say... um, it was not writing Liverpool off. It was pessimism.
2: You're a doubter, but 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 you've changed that your mind. A and this is the time for lovemaking. Exactly. <laughs> now we're back to doing that again.
1: If I knew you were going to play that. I would never have paused. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now they've they've been relentless. They did very well, and it sets up, as we've mentioned, a Titanic battle between them and Manchester City because City beat Southampton by four goals to one. At the weekend and that was a, a terrific second half performance against the Saints because in the first half it was it was pretty even actually and Southampton started the game well then gifted Manchester City a goal in frustrating circumstances um, and then Manchester City succumbed Southampton got back in the game was 1-1 at halftime time finally poised and then City powered away but did City power away Alex Crook because Fraser Forster cannot dive to his right.
3: <laughs> I think I've been telling you that for quite a while you have, haven't I? and, and the, did you see the penalty yeah yeah, not brilliant from, from Fraser Forster it's an interesting one with him though because he's actually been playing quite well to such an extent he's out of contract in the summer and I think it was taken as red at the start of the season that, that he would be let go but maybe that might be you turning on that decision but I do think 4-1 flattered Manchester City I think it was closer than the scoreline suggests ultimately they had too much quality and I will question Ralph Hasenhutel again. Uh, Southampton fans seem split on this. We had some call in the boot room on Sunday night saying they understood the decision to leave out Armando Broya and Shay Adams because it worked against West Ham in the previous round. I don't get it. Why would you do Why would you? Exactly. There's a big difference between playing West Ham and Manchester City. And if you've got any chance of beating Manchester City, you have to have your two best strikers leading the line up front. I understand that Shane Long works hard, he's going to bring that pressing game that Ralph Hasenhutl clearly believes brings success against Manchester City but I don't understand that and I don't understand even more the comments from Hasenhutl after the game basically suggesting that he got the um, idea from Jan Bednarek that he wasn't mentally prepared for this game because his focus was on Poland and their upcoming World Cup qualifier if that's true I think that's a really poor reflection on Jan Bednarek this is not Shrewsbury away in the first round of the League Cup this is an FA Cup quarter final. And a place at Wembley. I'm not sure how happy uh, the player will be with his manager airing those views, but that doesn't sit right at all with me. Now, also, you know, the
2: Poland game that they've got to play, because they've got to buy through the first round, haven't they, as a result of the, the Russia yeah. incident. So that isn't till next Tuesday. That's 10 days away. Yes, it's massive because it's a playoff to get to the, final, uh, the finals of the World Cup. I understand that, but this is an opportunity to go to Wembley with your club that plays you, pays your wages, by the way. Um, so, you, you can sorry, surely focus on two big games in 10 days. Um, I don't get the the, the broyer thing. I don't get it at all. And the reason I don't get it is because, um, like you say, the context is completely different to the West Ham game in the previous round, where they were playing in a congested period on a thursday night i think they were playing that that quarter final and it was very close to the weekend so they were thinking about the possibility of of changing the team they also thought that west ham would be you know come out and try and have a go at them and then they'd hit them in the second half when they could make all their changes and five changes gives you the opportunity to rest some of your players but against manchester city darren you've got to play your best team haven't you especially just before an international
1: break Yeah, you do one of two things. If you are serious about winning, you have to play your best team. If you play anything other than your best team, then clearly you're surrendering the the game to the opposition. Um, I mean, it has to be said, after Spurs, and I was at that game when Southampton played Spurs and won at White Hart Lane, Ralph Hasenhutl said, look, this is very different to previous seasons where I didn't have the depth. Now I can make eight, nine changes and not really have a dip in quality. But at the same time, you cannot make a lot of the changes against a side as, as accomplished as City and expect to win because they're just too good. And I don't think yesterday's surprise, uh, result surprised anyone.
2: The National Hunt Festival at Cheltenham provided us with four days of thrilling entertainment. And now all four quarterfinals are live and only here as the FA Cup turns for home Ziyech who motors up towards the edge of the penalty he cuts in left it drives the ball goalwards and brilliantly past the goalkeeper with a fizzing effort what a fantastic finish by Hakim
0: Ziyech he uh, controlled the game and uh, scored a second goal when it was absolutely crucial and that's Gave us a deserved win today.
3: Gallagher takes a touch, what a save, but it comes out to Will Hughes, and that's number four. That is rubbing salt into the wound for Everton.
1: We are performing well, we had a, a fantastic support, and we are really pleased to, to go to Wembley for the semi final.
3: The shot is driven in by Mahrez, and it's 4 1 to Manchester City, and very quickly this game has become a rout.
0: Second half, we're much better, we play more in their own side, and at the end, the quality from field and react did the difference.
3: Simic on the corner of the box, right-footed ball, flighted in and in from Diogo Jota. That's the harsh reality of FA Cup football against one of the stellar sides.
1: That's what we are in the moment. We didn't, we don't have anything yet, but we have our hand in 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 all big decisions in the moment, and that's what we try to extend.
2: Uh, Confirmation that Crystal Palace have secured their place in the uh, final four of the FA Cup with what can only be described as an absolute battering of Everton. Now, actually, Everton played all right for the first 20 minutes and looked as if they were going to give Crystal Palace a real go. Crystal Palace often start very slow in matches and then grow into matches as as they go on. But Everton didn't take any of the two or three big chances that they had during that period and then Palace took the two chances that they had before half-time. And Everton, Alex, crumbled like you wouldn't believe. No wonder Frank Lampard came out afterwards and said, you know, he questions the heart, the desire and the commitment of the players because everybody else
3: was as well. Yeah, but I'm not sure that's very clever uh, for the manager to come out and do that because you're needing a tune-out of these players for the rest of the season. It's hardly going to rebuild their confidence. I actually didn't think Frank covered himself in glory with his comments pre-match either but by basically saying look forget about the FA Cup it's all about staying in the Premier League he's right to a certain point but Everton haven't won a trophy since Joe Royal led them to the FA Cup victory over Manchester United in 1995 yeah, but they're Again, not
2: going to start now they were never going to win the FA Cup no disrespect I mean look at them they're absolutely dreadful
3: But it's still a chance to go to a Wembley semi-final and again build up some confidence for some pretty huge league games ahead. There wasn't much in this game for the first 20 minutes but you're right, the way that Everton capitulated after conceding the first goal um, is a cause for concern. I think great credit to to Crystal Palace and all the Chelsea fans around TalkSport Towers yesterday were saying, oh, what a great draw. You know, we've avoided Liverpool and Manchester City. I think Palace will be thinking exactly the same, yeah. especially given Patrick Vieira's remarkable record in the FA Cup. Is that 19 games now as player and manager yeah. without defeat in the terrific, competition? Terrific, I've just got a sneaky feeling that Patrick Vieira is going to be leading a team out in the FA Cup final this
1: season. Ooh, okay. Can I just um, say that this really fascinating debate that you raise, Alex, about playing your strongest side, uh, because sometimes you... you <laughs> You can make changes if you fit. Look, as far as Everton are concerned, they've got to stay in the league. You yeah. know, they could win the, 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 the FA Cup, but if they go down, it's a disaster. Now, you can make the case, well, actually, the game is about winning. When you look at the investment in Everton, they need to stay in the Premier League. Yes. I would argue more than winning the FA Cup. Because they may collapse
2: if they go out of the Premier League.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I can understand why Lampard did not play his strongest side. A day out at Wembley means nothing, and there was a. I think there was a huge misconception. Misconception is probably the wrong word. Everyone loves these heartwarming stories, but when you get to a final, you want to see big teams against big teams. Sponsors want the Chelseas against Liverpool's or Manchester Cities. You know, I remember when Millwall played Man United in the FA Cup. It was such a mismatch. Yeah, it was rubbish. People.
2: But that that, that,
1: that Wigan-Man City game was all right, though, wasn't it? It was not not too bad, and I was just thinking of that as I was making the case, to be fair. So thank you for putting that in there so that no one actually tweets us and says, what about Wigan-Manchester? <laughs> <laughs> but but there was a reality about the fact that for Everton, picking your strongest side to play in the FA Cup, the FA Cup is not important to them. Staying in the Premier League, saving their lives, absolutely is
2: Yeah, and um, look, Crystal Palace. I I do think it's fantastic that we've got Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Crystal Palace in the last four. Although it has been pointed out to me that it is now um, seven years since a team from outside the top flight has made it to a semi-final. And that's the longest run in the competition's 150-year history that that has happened. So I suppose that is identifying once again that there is a big gap between the very, very best and the teams in the second tier. But also I think maybe underscoring that the teams in the top flight are taking it a lot more seriously because they know that there are limits on what you can and can't win. And this is a great opportunity for someone to put um, silverware in the uh, trophy cabinet.
3: Yeah. But I think actually for the competition, if it is Patrick Vieira walking up the steps to lift the FA Cup come May, I think that would be a brilliant shot in the arm for the competition because what we don't want is a closed shot where by and large if Manchester City turn up they win the FA Cup Chelsea have got a terrific record as well I think it's it's, it's, it's good for English football when one of the lesser lights even if it's still a Premier League team uh, win the FA Cup like Wigan did against Manchester City like Portsmouth did Sam uh, when we were there in 2008 so for that reason I'm all in on Palace this season come on the Eagles
2: okay alright okay well except because Manchester United went out about you know the third round or something when did they go out? Went well, no, out about 10 years ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um So Chelsea going to Wembley. It's 11th FA Cup semi-final in 16 years uh, for Chelsea. As you said, they, they they take it very seriously and they beat Millersboro by two goals to nil and they took that game very seriously as well. Um Obviously, they only had 677 supporters up there. Um, I've listened back actually to the, the goal I called on Romelu Lukaku and when he scores... It sounds like you're behind closed doors because there's there's, there's literally no supporters in the crowd. Um, so it, you know it was an odd sort of experience. And I spoke to Thomas Tuchel afterwards, and I said to him, Do you know, did it help that there was 677 here? And he went, it made a little bit of a difference, yeah. Um, but um, they were, I thought they were really professional actually, Chelsea in the way they approached the game because Middlesbrough, another team from the Championship that were in good form, uh, Mason Mount. Was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Occupying a half space on that right-hand side, getting in behind the, the Middlesbrough defence, helping to create both goals. I just thought he was he was terrific, and he's been terrific. He's a brilliant professional as well, isn't he? Because the one thing about Mason Mount, you know, there's a lot of talk about England players and, you know, getting maybe too big for the boots sometimes. You never hear anything about Mason Mount. Literally nothing at all. He, he, he turns up, he does the job, he contributes, I think he's contributed to 50 goals since he's been in the Chelsea first team in the last two and a half years. He's, he's 25 assists and 25 goals. I mean, it's a pretty impressive record and he's an exemplary professional, isn't
3: he? Yeah, and I think he, like Thomas Tuchel, has con- conducted himself brilliantly um, during Chelsea's off-field problems. He's one of the players that regularly has spoken to the press uh, after matches and he cares. You know, he's a, he's a Chelsea boy. He's been through the academy And I think they have created a bit of a siege mentality as well. You know, Thomas Tuchel making jokes about the fact he'll drive a seven-seater to Middlesbrough if he has to. Uh, Obviously, they didn't didn't. cover themselves (laughs) in in glory. It was a seven-seater plane, wasn't it? I mean, they they went up there in the air. I know, but I think, you know, I think Thomas Tuchel's been a fantastic leader. They didn't cover themselves in glory with a statement they made about uh, lacking integrity, trying to get this game played behind closed doors. But on the pitch... um, they really have done the club proud. Um, And what we can say, whatever's going on with Roman Abramovich, whatever you think about the sanctions that have been imposed, and we all agree they're correct, it isn't the player's fault. Um, And I think they are, they they are wearing the Chelsea badge with pride. And I think the fans could be very pleased with that. Yeah. The one concern
2: is, is that, uh, I mean, not concern, obviously Chelsea have garnered quite a lot of interest. In fact, I don't think there is a billionaire in the world that hasn't bid for them over the course of the last uh, uh, 48 hours. But the problem is, is if whoever, whoever takes over is that every single one of their previous statement is being poured over now, Darren, to to work out whether they are fit and they are proper. And you know, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest in the Martin Broughton takeover proposals because uh, Josh Harris and David Blitzer are involved in Crystal Palace, are rumoured to be involved in that. How does that weigh up? Because they can't own two Premier League clubs. You've got uh, Todd Bowley and his consortium and then you know, their involvement in American sports. You've got the uh, the Ricketts family that are involved in the Chicago Cubs, who, whose who's patriarch has said some rather, well, listen, inappropriate things about... Um, Islam and, and and Muslims in the past, although I understand he's not involved directly in the bid. So like it, it's a it's still a murky world that Chelsea have got, not Chelsea, but the government have got to navigate here before a proposal that is put to them can be accepted. I mean, there's a Saudi media group who apparently are not linked to the royal family, but isn't everyone in Saudi Arabia linked to the, 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 the royal family? Because it's about fifteen thousand princes.
1: Yeah. Um. The the, the the thing about the Saudis is that obviously there is the war in Yemen. Um, and so is that an acceptable war? But the uh, Ukraine war, which exactly. they're, they're all um, aspersions cast in the direction of Roman Rambich, that's not. So, and then you've got, uh, well, listen, there are, there are so many things. There's so many
2: strands. <laughs> I know you were just about to say about Manchester City's owners meeting... Uh, yes. Uh, the Syrian president over the weekend as well, which doesn't go down particularly well. Yeah, you know, this, this is this is this is the
1: area know, that we're in now, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. I, I laugh and it's an ironic laugh because I think football ties itself up in knots trying to navigate this moral maze. Um, and the I, there was a terrific piece by Martin Samuel in the. Daily Mail a couple of weeks ago where he talked about the era before you had the era before we had foreign investment and some of the unsavoury characters who were in charge of football clubs back then uh, uh, to remind us all that it wasn't a happier time and more golden era before we had foreign investment there were still a few uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells if you like who were taking characters. Rogue characters, exactly, and characters in inverted commas because that makes them sound endearing when, in some cases, they were crooks. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a very difficult period in terms of what the government do here and and what the government are seen to be doing here. I, all I would say is that two things: one. As Sam Wallace said in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday, beware the potential owners who say one thing before they take over a club and then do anything they want once they do and you can do nothing about it.
2: Brilliant article (laughs) that because you talked about the small window to have an influence on your club's future. It's a very small window, because at this point, everybody promises you the world, but actually, as soon as they've got their hands on it, they'll do what they want.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think of some people who've, had some recent takeovers, uh, Burnley, Sheffield United, your Portsmouth side, um, where you were taken over by one of the few, probably one of the, I've got to choose my words really carefully. There was a moment
2: when they were taken over by someone who didn't exist, which was... uh, (laughs) His nickname became, his name was Ali Al Farage. And actually we called him Ali Al
3: Mirage because he didn't exist. He was, no one's ever heard of him. I think there was one point in 2010 when Portsmouth had more owners and they had points in the Premier League. But um, (laughs) I'm still not totally convinced lessons have been learned from that. I don't think that the fit and proper person's test is as stringent as it should be. It's going to be interesting to see with how, uh, find a tooth comb the government try and pick through the bids that have gone in. And then there was a story on the back page, I think in the Mail on Sunday at the weekend, suggesting that Roman Abramovich, out spite, uh, might be unwilling to sell to anybody uh, attached to a country who's imposed sanctions on Saw Russia. That. So uh, I think there's a few twists to come in this year. And I did have a phone call on Friday, uh, just before I was watching the Gold Cup, oh, from yes. one Ben so you
2: Benayim. You've got to tell us about uh, this. You've got to tell us about <laughs> this. This is the former Chelsea central defender, former Portsmouth central defender, Tal. Ben Haim, who is also trying to buy. I mean, maybe he could team up with John Terry and sell a load of NFTs because that's that seems to be his process.
3: Yeah, it, it, was, it was a strange phone call, but I have to say um, he spoke well. I believe what he was telling me, he says that he's linked to a, a very wealthy uh, golf-based billionaire who doesn't want to be identified. It would be um, not a consortium, but a, a sole new owner who would uh, pledge £2 billion to buy the club and have a £500 million in immediate revenue uh, and would try and kick on what Roman Abramovich has started. Again, it could just be a sales pitch. But, but what was interesting be, about It can't that be was... someone
2: anonymous. It has to, you have to know where the income comes from because otherwise there's no point in doing what we're doing now, which is sanctioning someone who we know is involved in things that we're not happy with. So you have to know yeah, but... the identity of where the money comes from.
3: But I'm sure... Chelsea and and the the Reigns Bank will know the identity but actually I'd be more encouraged about someone who's trying to buy the club in secret at this stage than people who are showing their hand because again we said it before you know look at Michael Knighton bouncing the ball doing keepy-ups on the pitch at Old Trafford Uh, people the the guy from Spotify who was going to save Arsenal people who a serious about buying football clubs, nine times out of ten don't tell you they're gonna buy a football club. They just do it. Okay, let's shuffle the playlist because Arsenal actually don't need
2: saving, not after the weekend
1: A lot can happen in the next
2: three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, UnitedHealthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United UnitedHealthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: The Premier League All-Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on talk sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's
3: apply. Another fascinating game day. Nice to pull it back here to Erdegaard. Smith Throw might get a shot away right footed from the edge of the area and balloons it high over the crossbar. It is Saka now into the penalty area. Linking up neatly with Erdegaard. Continues run to the six yard box, cuts it back, and Smith Rowe and Lacazette really just got in each other's way. Gabriel trying to turn onto it. Shot from Saka! And the first goal for Arsenal, Bakayo Saka with yet another magic moment. Cleared as far as McGinn who curls one, right-footed just past the far post. Watkins running at Gabriel, tries to step over, shoots left-footed. And how did that stay out? Ball in towards Danny Ings inside the area, looks to guide the header into the top corner, over Leno, but onto the roof of the net. And there is the full-time whistle. No late twist in the towel. Arsenal back to winning ways as it finishes at Villa Park. Aston Villa nil, Arsenal one.
2: Aston Villa-0, Arsenal-1. Crookie commentated on this game, as you've probably just heard there. And uh, the goal came from Bakayu Saka. And what a goal it was as well. And he's a terrific player. And I heard someone talking about the fact that not many England players actually had ripped up trees since the European Championships. He's certainly one who has over the course of this uh, season. He used the adversity which uh, befell him uh, during the summer and he has kicked on. What a terrific player he is. And Arsenal, you've got to get, you've got to hand it to them, Darren. You know, I must admit, I went into this game, like Crook did, thinking that Aston Villa could cause a bit of an issue here. They'd hardly landed a glove on them.
1: No, they didn't. Listen, Arsenal was superior all over the pitch. I think there were questions to be asked um, about uh, Aston Villa's recruitment. I know that they're going to invest quite a lot. They were going to sign Benton Kerr before he went to Spurs. Hmm. Um and I think they're now looking at seeing if they can get Calvin Phillips from Leeds in the summer. They do need more steel in midfield, more quality in defence. And I think they even need a little bit more in attack too. But Arsenal were brilliant. They were focused. They're adding clean sheets now to their run uh, into the top four if they are to make it. They're scoring goals. Bukayo Saka, they should give him anything he wants when he signs his new deal because this guy is pure gold. Um, and I think that they... It's going to be interesting for fourth place.
2: And of course they did it and managed a clean sheet without uh, Aaron Ramsdale, didn't they?
3: Yeah, he was there as cheerleader. Um, Saw him uh, walking up the touchline, signing a few autographs for the Villa fans before the game. Obviously took his place in the dugout, tweeted a picture saying different view this afternoon. But when I spoke to Mikel Arteta afterwards he said it was Aaron's decision despite the fact that he was injured and, and could be out for some time now with that hip problem uh, that he wanted to be there to support Leno because Leno had supported him since coming to the club and I think in a way and I know Gabby Agbonlahor was quite scathing at the scenes of celebration at the end but that the Ramsdale situation uh, and the way the players came together with the supporters shows a great unity uh, at the club that I think hasn't been there for a number of years and where I'm do you think that I'm, came from? where do you think that came from that unity? Well, I think because he's cleansed the dressing room, Mikel Arteta. You don't think it's just Um, because of
2: Aaron Ramsdale's personality, because you
3: don't really talk about that. Well, Well, listen, Uh, uh, (laughs) very good. I'll, I'll serve them up and you back them down again but what I was going to say and we were talking about great rivalries for, for me the greatest rivalry in the Premier League was still United and Arsenal Ferguson against Wenger you know the battle of the buffet the, the dust up between Keane and Vieira in the tunnel at Highbury as a result of that I've always had an ingrained dislike of Arsenal I find it very difficult to dislike this group of players partly because of Aaron Ramsdale, but I spoke to Pakayo Saka after the game. What a lovely young man. He speaks well. Um, He's certainly not someone who's got above his station despite the success he's had at a young age. Emil Smith-Rowe, the same. Ben White... And I think that's key, you know, because we spoke a few weeks ago on this podcast. I despise almost every single Manchester United player, and the unity that Arsenal have got is so far removed from the Old Trafford dressing room. I still think that will set them apart because I still think they're more of a uh, they're more of a group e- even than Tottenham, and I think that will make a difference when it comes to fourth place.
2: Okay, uh, let's talk about Tottenham. They beat West Ham by uh, three goals to one on Sunday. Kane, heavily influential again, Darren. You went to the game. And that combination between those two, Son and Kane, is a sight to behold, isn't it? It's worth setting this against the backdrop that a lot of people were suggesting Antonio Conte might drop Son going into this weekend's fixture. But you can't because those two are symbiotic.
1: Yeah, he was saying in a press conference afterwards that would have been crazy to do that. Um, He's just such a good player, a good guy who cares about the team winning, not just him scoring or making assists. And he described Harry Kane as two players rolled into a one, a number 10 and a number 9 because of his quality, because of his ability to drop deep uh, and provide assists. I mean, the ball for Son's first goal was just absolutely outstanding. And... I don't know, I just think as far as Spurs are concerned, it's insane that they are in with a chance of the top four when you consider the games they've lost, the points they've dropped, the points at which Conte said, look, you," I think I might sack the club <laughs> because <laughs> they're just rubbish. I, I can't do this. I'm used to challenging for titles, not with this rabble. And now suddenly they're breathing down Arsenal's necks and that North London derby could be crucial in determining who gets a top four place.
2: Yeah, the contest appears to be a North London one, I think, for me, after this weekend's results. Tottenham are just three points behind fourth place Arsenal. Arsenal have a game in hand. They're three ahead of West Ham Tottenham, who have played a game more than Spurs. And, of course, Manchester United, they're still there or thereabouts. But Arsenal have got to play Chelsea. Arsenal have got to play Tottenham Hotspur. And Arsenal have got to play Manchester United as well, haven't they, Crook, as well? I think that's still still to come. But so that's three points. So I was going to um, say, that won't be
3: any issue at all, will it? Uh, um,
2: but the, that, that North London derby. And I look, we take the mick out of um, the fact that Sky have not scheduled that game yet. But we know why they haven't scheduled that game yet. Because they want to place it at the most prominent time when it will be almost like a playoff
3: for the top four. And I think it's uh, a fixture, obviously, that carries a lot of uh, feist in its own right. But even more so, it was interesting to hear Antonio Conte before the game at the weekend reacting to Arteta's moans about fixture congestion, saying, "Well, last time I checked, it was Arsenal who called off the North London derby uh, for no good reason." Yeah. So I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a brilliant game, and uh, I think it will be crucial to determining that fourth place. As I, I do make Arsenal favourites, but I have to say, with Tottenham, um, Kane and Son took all the headlines. But I really like Kulisevsky. Uh, I think, again, he's settled in, like we talk about, Diaz to the Premier League. He's uh, like massive. he's been here he his whole career.
2: He's as well. He's
3: great on the ball, but he's so big and physical. Yeah, but everybody's big compared to you. Um, and I do like Benton <laughs> Kerr as well. And Romero. Romero, um, obviously, is, was a summer signing. Didn't play a lot of football in the first half of the season due to COVID and international calls. But he was he was really good at the weekend.
1: <laughs> Can I say briefly, I'm looking at Arsenal's fixtures. They're not easy at all. No. They will not go to Stamford Bridge and beat Chelsea. that's what we I, I just said, I, I, down. Yeah? That's so, that's no, 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 but, but that's the first one. Right. They will not go to St. James' Park and roll Newcastle over. I can't, I mean, Newcastle are a better side now for the signings they made in January. Plus, then Maximin isn't back in the side at his best level yet. I, I, honestly, I even the West Ham game, I think this is a tough run-in for Arsenal. Yeah, and Conte, uh,
2: the Tottenham manager, never won to, to stoke a mind game, honest gov. Uh, he said afterwards, uh, there are nine games to go. Actually, he's probably, there are uh, uh, nine... Games uh, to go. It takes ages to get a sentence out. Uh, There are nine games to go. And for us, every game has to be a final. Arsenal have a good advantage, especially because they've been working with the same coach for many years and have many transfer markets with the same coach. Maybe at this moment they are more ready than us. Oh yes, ball in your court, Mikel. Um, I think many of us felt that West Ham would probably struggle to maintain their high standards from Thursday, even if it does break that that wonderful Spursy sequence of win-loss, 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 win. But the problems aren't new, are they? I mean, Mikel Antonio, last league goal, New Year's Day, squandered chances, and even David Moyes was forced to say the level of Tottenham's forwards was the difference. Now, will let the level of Tottenham's forwards actually be the difference when it comes to the race for fourth place, because one thing that Arsenal don't have is
3: a lot of firepower. Yeah, and that's a concern. You know, again, you see Eddie and Nketiah limping on for the final few minutes. I mean, I I can't believe he's still uh, at the football club. I can't believe they tried to offer him a new contract, to be honest, because he clearly isn't the answer. And I think it's a big issue for Arsenal this summer. Do they give Lacazette a new contract? I would suggest not on the same money because he just doesn't score goals. Uh, on a regular enough basis so they go back to their list from January, which included Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who isn't pulling up any trees at Everton and would cost a lot of money. So uh, I do think, actually, and I said this on on Sunday night, long-term, I think Tottenham are in a better better position than Arsenal because I do think this is short-term success for Arsenal, uh, partly because Manchester United have been so poor and Tottenham have been so inconsistent. The squad still still isn't deep enough. And Mikel Arteta is a great man-manager when it comes to the young players, but when it comes to players with ego... I think that could be where he he, he falls short. If they're in the Champions League next season... He's going to have to try and conquer that particular demon.
2: Yeah, well, he doesn't need to uh, look after people with ego because he's got rid of all of them, and he will only bring in people that haven't got that. That will be his job in the summer. And if they're in the Champions League, he'll be able to recruit better players. I think Arsenal are set up for a longer term success, maybe than Tottenham at this point because they've been planning for it for longer. And and Arteta, you know, listen, you've got to give him credit. Over the last two and a half years, we've doubted him. We've we've sat there. Everyone's going, well, we can see what Mikel is doing. Well, we can't see what Mikel is doing yet. And, And eventually, it wasn't until sort of. Maybe the back end of last year, 2021, and the beginning of 2022 that we've been able to see the the evolution of this progress. Now, listen, if they don't get into the top four now, then that is a failure for him because they've had it in their hands. And they've had nothing else. And, you know, we laugh and joke about the fixture congestion. I mean, that was the most bonkers argument anyone has ever made, bearing in mind they played three games in 40 days between the end of January and the beginning of March and then moaned about having to play twice in a week. I mean, crazy. Um, And not going to get any sympathy from anybody. Um, But, you know, I think you've got to probably say he's done at this point, a very, very good job to get them into the right position. Whether or not they can maintain that, as Darren has already mentioned, is very difficult. We're all very, I think we're a bit cynical about Mikel Arteta, mainly because, you know, everyone got so very excited about him very early and we were like, well, I'm not entirely sure yet. And the, the histrionics on the touchline don't help me either, by the way. You know, <laughs> I don't get all it, that. I mean, I know he's was at his
3: best on Sunday. I mean, it was like, uh, I said in commentary, it was like an over dad on a school sports day at one stage clapping, you know, a wayward pass that, that sailed out play over on the touchline. It was, yeah, I mean, he's it, it, tiresome just to watch. You know, I, was, I needed to lie down, let alone him. If you're a Leeds United
2: fan, certainly you had Friday Night Entertainment and its Premier League best. They came from 2-0 down to beat Wolverhampton Wanderers by three goals to two. But should they have been given the encouragement to do so with that red card for Raul Jimenez. Two yellows, the second for challenging the goalkeeper. What was your thought, Darren Lewis? I don't know. And, you know, uh, uh, the
1: reason...
2: uh, You've had two and a half days to make your mind up about it and you still
1: can't. Great. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I I was just thinking about this in in, in a wider context. I mean, I know I disagreed with you guys last weekend about uh, Sanchez and Diaz because I I felt he had the right to make himself big. And I, I, I still actually would stand by that. And... I, I, I think I'm going to go I'm gonna go with that one. Okay, that I'm right? going to go
2: no. I'm going to say that I don't think that's a sending off. I think it's just a throwing, it's two players coming
3: together. Crook? I think it was a sending off. I think it was dangerous play and, and, and endangering an opponent.
2: Okay, all right, okay. Well, you agree with the refs, all right.
3: I think you have to praise Jesse Marsh, whatever
2: you do. Two wins from three since turning up at Ellen Road. And he dealt with the hostility and backlash uh, of the first home game after a chasing loss to Aston Villa. Crook, you were particularly scathing on him, but... They've got back to what Leeds are, haven't they? Running more, staying on the front foot and keep going right to the very end and they did that twice in two games now.
3: Yeah, and and, uh, psychologically, it's a huge win for them and a huge dent, actually, for Burnley and Watford. Not just the Leeds result, but Everton winning in stoppage time at Newcastle the night before. If you're Roy Hodgson or Sean Dyche watching those results, all of a sudden you think you've got a mountain to climb. I can't really say too much about Leeds' second-half performance. I'm told it was uh, very reminiscent of Leeds under Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, But having had a a long week at Cheltenham, I actually went to bed at halftime thinking the game was over. So I was quite surprised uh, when I woke up the next morning to find that Leeds had won by three goals to two. And uh, without wanting to
2: uh, be uh, chastening myself you have had two and a half days to review the highlights, but yet you have decided not to prepare yourself for a broadcast uh, which actually looks back on all the Premier League action. So that's a bit unprofessional from you, isn't it? Not for the first time. Um, let me throw out some uh, massive fixtures that might determine whether Leeds stay up or, and who goes down. Uh, and they don't involve Leeds. Darren, listen, listen to these big games that are still yet to come in the Premier League. 6th of April, Burnley against Everton. 10th of April, just four days later, Norwich against Burnley. 16th of April, Watford against Brentford. 30th of April, Watford against Burnley. Oh, And on the 15th of May, Everton against Brentford. Now, that means that Burnley have got to go to Watford, they've got to go to Norwich, and they get to host Everton. Those three fixtures in particular
3: are likely to sort the wheat from the chaff, aren't they? They'll decide that Burnley are going back to the Championship after five years in the Premier League.
1: I think tough for Burnley but they do have those games in hand so there is still a chance they do have that spirit a very small squad so they've got a group of players who believe they can do it and that's the most important aspect of any relegation fight the belief so and what also helps them of course is that Everton are so bad and are still within range so Could it be done? Yes, it still could be done. I don't think Leeds are out of the woods just yet because there are so many games to go.
2: Okay, Uh, one game that did take place on Sunday which went really under the radar uh, was Leicester against Brentford. Leicester 2, Brentford 1. It went under the radar because it was so much football on terrestrial TV that everybody sort of uh, turned their attention to that. Crook, you were commentating on Leicester versus Brentford. For the three people um, that support (laughs) Leicester and Brentford outside the UK... Um and um, look, there were some cracking goals in this match. Uh, Leicester now have won three of the last four Premier League games, which is as many victories as they recorded across the previous fourteen matches in the competition. Which is which is some upturn, isn't it?
3: Yeah. What did you make, Sam, of, of Patson Daka's performance?
2: Uh, Patson Daka, I thought, um, bearing in mind that he didn't feature in the match, it was probably uh,
3: not very good. <laughs> Why? I was trying to catch you out there to see if you'd actually studied this game. Oh, right.
2: Um, okay, later. now I do my homework, pal. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> you, uh, would never guess, you would never guess by listening to this podcast that these two are lifelong mates. <laughs> and yet they're always taking shots at each other.
3: Yeah. Um, it was a better game than I feared it would be, um, to be honest, especially when I saw that Christian Eriksen was absent due to COVID. I think that did change the dynamics. I think we would uh, in the team, Brentford would have had a, a great chance to to pick up something from the game. Having said that, 2-1 probably flattered the bees. They were better in the second half. They were really passive in the first, gave the ball away too much. James Madison and Keeler Dewsbury Hall actually who's evolving into a really good Premier League footballer was superb in that first half. Two excellent goals from Castagna marking his comeback and Madison, again I mentioned I've been watching goals from the treble season for Manchester United on the morning of the game. The Madison free kick for me was reminiscent of David Beckham um, in that season. It was brilliant technique and it was in all the way. A good win for Leicester. And actually, they've got games in hand. It, it could still be a successful second half of the season for Leicester, particularly as they're getting their players back. Johnny Evans came back as well for Farna made a scoring comeback in Europe in midweek. So I think they could have a strong end to the season. Yeah, and of course, they've they've got PSV in the Europa Conference
2: League, which is a big match, a historical match. You know, it'll be, be a nice night at the King Power Stadium. They've still got big things to look forward to. Um And you've mentioned it already. This was a game in which only great goals counted, wasn't it? I mean, it, every single one of them was an absolute corker. Castagne's strike, I maybe the pick of the goals. Madison's free kick well, giving him a run for the money. Uh, and then Johan Visser as well. It's not bad. It was a, a brilliant finish from the edge of the area. It was just a great set of goals. I mean, you could just watch them over and over and over again. And I suppose that just shows you the beauty of the Premier League. You've got a game which doesn't really mean much in the context of the overall uh, season. You're getting into that sort of zone now where there are going to be a few dead rubbers, but yet you still get magic moments.
3: Just on Madison, Sam, you're sure the expert when it comes to what Gareth Southgate may and may not do he's now the the, uh, English midfielder with the highest number of goal involvements in all competitions this season in terms of goals and assists I think it was his 13th goal of the season he's got 8 assists as well is there any chance that he could be forcing his way back into England contention or has that ship sailed nope it's gone won't happen there we go so James Madison if you're listening to this podcast book yourself a nice holiday for November Yep,
2: I would, uh, because he won't be going to the World Cup unless there's a severe injury crisis. I mean, Jaden Sancho can't get into that uh, England squad at the moment, so that shows you uh, how well you have to perform and and how well you have to behave in order to ensure that you are in the uh, England uh, squad, so there you go. It'll be interesting to see what happens actually today, because uh, Tyrant Mitchell is going to be called up by England uh, the Crystal Palace left back who have an issue with uh, full backs because they only have Luke Shaw that I think is turned up for international duty and um, you know, there was rumours last night that it was a lot of people that were going to pull out of this squad. Yeah
3: it's a problem for England when it comes to full backs isn't it uh, because obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold is injured I think Thomas Tuchel told you that Bruce James was unlikely to report for duty as well I wonder if it could be an opportunity for someone like Tarek Lamptey Uh, maybe to put himself in the spotlight in these two friendly matches.
2: Yeah, a a real opportunity for Tarek because he's in the under-21 squad, isn't he? And he's going to probably get pulled across. Um... I think they definitely want to have a look at as many younger players as possible in this break because it's very difficult, isn't it? You know, Between now and the World Cup, you've got these two matches, these two friendlies where you can experiment. Then you've got a batch of four Nations League games in 12 days, where they're obviously going to have to have a big squad to rotate because you don't want to play everybody uh, four times during that June period. And then there's one international break of two games in September. And then there's nothing, not a warm-up game, not a behind-closed-doors friendly, nothing at all before the first game of the World Cup. Um, in November so nothing between September and November so two full months without even seeing each other or talking to each other before they actually just start their World Cup campaign no warm-up games
1: Yeah, but dem- you're talking about as if that's the end of the world no are I, I, I
2: don't I, I don't actually because I think the, the three games that they'll play in the group stages of the World Cup will be used as their warm-up games
1: and, and also you know the, the, a lot of the teams a lot of the countries know their best team Yeah, they do. And I think as far as we are concerned, if we don't know what our best team is right now, then you may as well give up the ghost. I mean, we have good players. We've got to the the business end of tournaments. We came within penalty kicks of winning the Euros. Come on, I, I think that we should have a confidence about our squads going into the World Cups. So I don't have any concerns about the fact that we don't have international weeks before, before that, in that period you we were just discussing.
3: You,
2: you still want to take that bet, by the way, that Jared Bowen's going to be in that
3: World Cup squad? Do you still want to take that bet? I don't know if it was a bet. I mean, he has got injured again at an oh, inopportune time. You were in large, that, weren't you? Shame that Aaron Ramsdale is injured as well because he would have probably got some game time in these two games. So, so bad yeah. timing for him and Jarrah Bowen. It was, it, it, it that. was, actually, it was actually bad timing for Ramsdale because I think he would have played. I'd say to You think
1: he'll go? You haven't paid your last he, bet yet. We were all locked down and we we're all on the remote, but you named the date and we are there. Tell me when you want to do it and I will do it. A bet is a bet is a bet. Okay. Monday night. Okay. It's coming Monday night.
2: <laughs> oh, hold on. Yeah, okay. just, just checking my diary. Yeah. Okay. Listen, um, that's it from us. We'll be back um, very shortly with another episode of the Game Day podcast from uh, Talk Sport. We will um, look ahead to all of the returning action from the Premier League um, in a couple of weeks' time because there's no uh, Premier League this week. In fact, we were are away for 10 days now. Um, Crookie's actually away for 10 days and has been moaning all morning about the fact that he's had to fill in a passenger locator form whilst me and Darren sit there and toll through. I've got four fixtures or something like that over the course of the international break. Uh, Darren's been, you know, editing a paper. He's running up and down the country doing TV appearances and Crook's sitting on a beach. Um, So you have a great time and we'll see you when you get back.
3: I will. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Good luck with the games.